Do you wanna play a game? Do you like scary movies? Do you wanna eat some brains? Is your chainsaw arm groovy? How bloodthirsty could a talking plant be? Eat your liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Come play with us forever, cause down here we all float. I never drink wine, so you're gonna need a bigger boat. Or a throat to choke, whether you're in the prim or dairy. Got red rum where your blood from. Put your dead son in the cemetery. It's him or carry. Be very afraid. You'll be our number one I'm fan and one get day. carried away. All working, no play, you know it. Always means you're in trouble, son. I came to chew gum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubble gum. What if Quint killed Jaws' his father? What if the Bob's body was marijuana? What if the leprechaun got a job as a bank guard? What if the wolfman had a cowbell instead of Every nards? scary movie made since Oscar Wilde was writing letters Had canon to watch them all and tell you how to make them better So put your earbuds in and forget what you're planning It's time to take our heads and shoot them out of a cannon 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 Welcome to Head Cannon. Tonight's guest, we have Mr. JT Robinson. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Um, never done anything like this before, so I'm probably <laughs> a little jittery and nervous. So good, good. That's good. Good, yeah. Well, no, we're ha we're happy <laughs> yeah. to be your first podcast, and but uh, but how how about you, Brent? How are you doing today? Oh, I'm great. You know, it's Friday. So if we go a little over, it's totally fine. The kids can stay up like later, and um, yeah, I'm having a great, great Friday. It was a good day. Nice. See, both yeah. have kids. That's crazy. I guess it's not that crazy, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I reproduce with a woman, and it's <laughs> pretty awesome. How that works? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, yeah, I did, I did the thing, and and so well, JT, here's the question: What, what, uh, which one of your dad's balls do you think you came out of? Oh, the middle one. <laughs> JT obviously listened to an episode where that question was asked. <laughs> At first, I was like, "Whoa, I thought about that too," <laughs> and then I realized, "Oh, that was the one he probably listened to." Actually, I don't remember hearing anything like that. Really, oh, the same answer. We played a game. I had the I had the guest and Corey play a game, and it was called Left, Right, or Middle. <laughs> hmm. I listened to the one about the thing, which that was um really excellent, by the way. Yes, oh, nice. that guy's cool, right? He was like, yeah, he's like a college professor. You know, he kind of made me feel a little inferior as being the net, like a guest on your show. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's that's that guy's job. Like, and and anytime, uh, and whenever I like finish a script or something, I'm like, I think this is like good enough to show people. Like, I'll send it to him to read and like give me critiques on and shit. And the first time I did it, he was like, he was like, "Are you sure you want to go forward with this?" Like. I'm not going to pull any punches. Like, I'm going to be completely honest with you. And I was like, yeah, do it. <laughs> oh, dude, honest critics are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, but when I want them to blow smoke up my ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, when it was my own stuff, I was like, yeah, tell me. Tell me what's, what's bad about it. I'll, I'll fix it. But <laughs> but so, so what yeah. have you been up to? You said you, because um, we knew you from we worked together at pizza hut in bloomington indiana yeah the college days back in the college days in the good old college town i've done some traveling i've managed to get to japan so i thought that would be like relevant to the uh to addition yeah. oh nice what brought you to japan 
I just finally had enough money where I could afford to travel, and Japan's always been somewhere, specifically Tokyo, that I've wanted to go. Nice. That's did awesome. It, did it um did it rise to your expectations? Oh, it exceeded them. So I like to describe it like um, you know, when you're a kid, and everything's like new and wonderful and mind blowing, and as you age, like that kind of mind blowing wonder goes away until it's just not there anymore. But mm, Tokyo yeah. made me feel like a kid again. <laughs> nice. That's awesome, man. I, That's great. Yeah, I, I definitely want to go check that out. We've we've got a buddy, our friend Colin. He lived over there for a while, and then he moved back. But then he sent, he moved back over there because he wanted to like finish his training as a Buddhist monk. And they have a they have an empty temple in some little. There's a little town. I forget the name of the town, Nigata maybe, or maybe that's where he lived before. But they have a problem where like all the all the young people leave the the town, and all the old people are dying. So there's just like the population is just, is just dropping, and no one's replacing them, right? That's interesting. That, he's been on the newspaper twice over there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> they've talked about him in the newspaper a couple times. And but so he, they like the main reason he went back was his master like wanted him to take over this temple because they had nobody to run it. So he was like, "Hey, whenever, whenever you come back here, you, we, we've got a temple for you to run." So. Whoa. So that's yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. Um, I'm definitely interested in Buddhism, but don't know enough about it to really speak to it, but. Yeah, I, I didn't see one of the. We need you shacked up in some temple somewhere, man. It's, <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, I, I mean the the ancient part's awesome too, but I was kind of into the modern stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, that and that's the thing. Like, if I ever went, I would definitely want to like stay in the temple with him for at least you know part of the time, but and then obviously see the city as well. But but it's kind of no, nice to know, like if if I ever do make it over there, there's like a a place to stay, you know. Yeah, because it's uh, Tokyo is not cheap. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, I stayed in a little hostel with paper walls, and um, that was about $200 a night. I could literally touch either wall, um, either side of the wall, by just, just lifting my arms up. Wow. And my brother was there with me, so it was really cramped. Still amazing, though. Yeah. Was well, it that's cool that your brother went. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Tokyo is actually a pretty safe place, though. I would not I would totally go back by myself. Nice. Is your brother older or younger than you? No, he's younger than me. He's younger than you? Okay. Nice. What's your, what's uh, like the wildest thing you saw or experienced while you were over there? <laughs> um, there were quite a few adventures. Um, so I was actually planning on kind of telling this story, but it's, it's a little lewd. Um, okay. well, by all means. So um, we went to Shinjuku and we wanted to see the uh, red light district. Mm-hmm. And my brother, he's married and I am not, but so we were going down the street with all the love hotels and taking in the sites and um, the whole area the, the solicitation is not done by, like, the uh, the prostitutes. It's done by the pimps. So you don't see, like, any of the, the, the workers out there all in the hotels. Okay. I thought you said temps at first. <laughs> oh, it was, like, all pimps. It was, like, oh, this... <laughs> just, yeah, just a bunch of people like right a, out a of high temp school agency. Jobs. <laughs> He comes up with, like, with like a binder. <laughs> yeah. No, it, well, we did Sorry. get approached um, as we were walking. Um, and the funny thing about it, all the pimps, there, they're either, they're either white men or black men. That none of them were, were Japanese. One of them approaches us, and um, so again, the language that they use was not, you know, it's not safe for work language. <laughs> but he kind of like sidles up next to my brother, and he's um, not whispers, but says quietly, he's like, "I got a girl who will suck your dick for fifteen, take a shower for twenty, um, yada yada yada." And my brother showed him the ring, so he just started talking to us like you know normal, and um, he asked where we were from. We told them Indiana, and it turns out he went to Ball State University. 
Really? So he was like probably the coolest pimp I've ever met. <laughs> Where he he he, <laughs> he majored he majored there in temping <laughs> at Ball State. <laughs> but anyway, so he talked to us for a little bit, and then um he wandered off, and then um another pimp approached us, and he had the same spiel, and then another one came up, and he's like, "Well, my girl will do it for less." And another one came up, and they just kept undercutting each other. And um at one point, there were like four of them following us around, trying to you know undercut and sell us sex, and um. We were, you know, trying to explain we weren't interested. We just wanted to see the sights. And my brother was getting very uncomfortable. <laughs> so um, he started to jog. So I started to jog. And the four pimps <laughs> started to jog along with us. <laughs> and they're still they're, they're still going with their sales pitch. <laughs> and so like, finally, we, like, hooked the left into this restaurant. And um, it was a pretty greasy place. Um, and we were set down by the maitre d'. And um, we kind of noticed when we were sitting that... Um, Every table was set up with like two chairs, one across from the other. And we looked around and there were generally like businessmen across from, you know, relatively provocatively dressed ladies. Kind of realized it was a meet and greet for the prostitutes and their johns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like they, they chased you into like the one place yeah. you want to be. <laughs> yeah, so and my brother kind of was like, oh, so like, which one are you? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that that's that's my uh, pimp story from Japan. <laughs> Nice. I, you know, I, I like to think they're like, you know, $15 for a blowjob or 20 bucks for a shower. I like to think you pay for a shower and then you just go into a room and you just hear water running. And then after about 15, 20 minutes, like a girl comes out, like totally dressed in everything, wet hair. And she's like, okay, I'm all done. And you're like, okay, good. You're, you're clean. You got clean. She's like, yeah. Like, okay. And then you just leave and you just, you just like <laughs> enable her to just take a shower, you know? <laughs> I think that's exactly what happens, honestly. Right. Wait, Brent, I can't hear you. Did you turn your mic off or something? Oh, I turned my mic off by accident. Yeah, because, like, she takes a shower, and then you're into breathing in the steam. Like, that's what – some like, some people drink the I bath mean, water. Everyone needs a fetish, right? Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> nice. But actually, that story kind of continues. So, um, Shinjuku is where a lot of fun things are. So, um, I went back to see this thing called Robot Show. Okay. Which is – um amazing it's like robots and people doing cartwheels and it's like three hours of just crazy japanese stuff but my brother didn't go because he thought it was a strip show which it wasn't it was perfectly kid friendly but um his wife wouldn't let him go because he called to make sure it was all right she said no that they're strippers and no you can't go (laughs) but he walked with me to the robot bar and um i guess once i went in and he was going to leave the pimps chased him back into a dunkin donuts and i guess he nursed a donut for three hours while i was enjoying this awesome show because he was terrified of the pimps <laughs> oh man caught caught between the robot strippers and the pimps that's at the register at the register he was like one donut and they were like you can fuck it for five dollars <laughs> <laughs> it'll it'll well, take, a take a shower, shower for 10, for 10. <laughs> <laughs> these don't disintegrate there's that much frosting on them <laughs> Well, that's the fun, letting it disintegrate while you shower. Maybe, yeah. Again, fetish for everyone. All right. <laughs> don't, don't so, sorry, go ahead. So, what was the robot thing like? It's hard to explain. So, it was really random. So, the first thing they did was um, just like this parade of like um, robotic floats. And you were sitting so close, I would literally have to duck under them as they went by. But there'd be people on these floats, and they'd be pounding on taiko drums. And um, then like these motorcycles that were just like one giant wheel that the people sat in with all these neon lights would drive by and um, dancers would do cartwheels. And then that show went on for about an hour. And then the next show was like a 
this crazy reenactment of well not even a reenactment but they took like a bunch of pop culture figures and mythological figures and like dressed them up and um they would come out and they would do battle with this robot army that rode on robot dinosaurs that would like shoot steam and, and effects out of their mouth with each other and it was like you had everything from like ninja turtles running around to characters from naruto to ancient mythological characters fighting these robot people and their dinosaurs and then the third show was just like a parade of people just doing crazy stunts but they were all dressed up in neon some of them were in like riding in robots that would dance around it was i mean you'd need to see it i can't really do it justice was it all indoors yes it was all indoors it was on like this track and they had like rows of seats on either side of this track as they would go by cool nice and they were just blasting music and yeah it was it was nuts that sounds nuts. Yeah, that, I yeah. want to know the name of that place. That sounds cool. It's Robot Bar. <laughs> okay. Maybe there's a YouTube thing in that. I'll, I'll look it up later. It's very on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I feel like the closest... It's pretty famous. It, this, it was on Anthony Bourdain's show, if you if either of you watched that, but... Um, no, I didn't, yeah. not that. I awesome. didn't see that episode, at least, yeah. That's right. That's one where he went to Japan, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, he went. He went to like Korea, and he's like, "Dude, check out. Let me let me tell you the story." Of a robot <laughs> he had stock footage to show the Koreans how awesome Japan is. <laughs> how much better it is than Korea. <laughs> oh man, I, well, I think I think like the closest experience I've had to that is like the what is it like the carosaurus or whatever like at the monster truck shows where they have that big oh, yeah, like... that eats the cars or yeah <laughs> whatever that yeah, i've never seen that in person but when i was a kid i would watch that kind of thing on tv right <laughs> yeah that's when i lived like in in like bedford indiana where like you you'd see you would see advertisements for for things in indianapolis like so i would see like the video of in the commercial of the car eating eating dinosaur and then but all that stuff always seems so far away. Like, it seems but so actually, unattainable. That seems like a very Japanese thing, like a giant yeah, car-eating robot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of look like Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's there's a pumpkin patch near me where they have, like, um, a similar thing. But it's basically like an old bulldozer that they've dressed up as a T-Rex. And now all it does is, like, eat pumpkins. Like, all the kids, they have re- regular showings, like, every hour. And you go, and this, this machine is like, rawr, rawr, it just gobbles the pumpkins. And just drops pumpkin all over the place. Well, there was a like a craze ten years ago where they just would put pumpkins in slings in Halloween and just shoot them as far as they could and just demolish them. I never really quite saw the appeal, but I think it'd be cool if it was like a trebuchet. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Those things look so dramatic when they're shot. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, I feel like I saw a video of a of a woman doing that, and she let go, and the sling got turned around so it didn't eject it when it shot away from her, but then it maybe, I think she had a watermelon in it, but then as it came back to her, it like smashed her right in the face with a watermelon. I've seen that just explode. Yeah. <laughs> she, I need to watch more YouTube. That's, that's the takeaway here. Uh, but as you, you kind of mentioned before, uh, JT, that we're talking about uh, 1999's audition, which is a Japanese yes. movie. Which I appreciate. I, you know, I, I like to... Uh, I, this podcast, the idea is that we're going to watch every horror movie ever. And I appreciate you bringing something to the table that was, uh, you know, a foreign film, something a little bit... Um, you know, because I, I want the movies that we're covering to be kind of all over the spectrum of time between current movies and, you know, movies from 100 years ago. And, I, you know, we, we did a movie from Thailand 
Uh, but I think that's really the only other foreign film we've covered thus far. I could be mistaken about that, but but so yeah. So what was uh what what made you choose this movie? What's what does audition mean to you? Um. Well, I I think it, I mean I'm not into the like the whole torture porn thing, but it was kind of like you know the influence like the the big influences on like Eli Roth and all those other people who would uh, make those really hard to watch movies. But this one, um, it's not just like torture porn it's it's very psychological i feel like and um it's also it pulls a nice 180 about halfway through so like if you were to like not see the cover and you were just watching it you would think it would be like this kind of like creepy guys trying to like you know start a relationship with a woman by tricking him with an addition and then it kind of becomes like almost like not rom-commy but you know it looks romantic and then then the guy in the knapsack like jumps out and <laughs> right, all hell breaks. Yeah, loose. it reminded me of a Matthew McConaughey movie at first. Like I, I, I started watching it without knowing at all what it was. Yeah, about. like he's gonna learn his lesson that he was being a, like a, a douchebag by setting up an audition in the end. And, well, he does yeah, learn his lesson, but <laughs> the thing is, it doesn't get creepy until like an hour and fifteen into the movie. Well, the like, I always thought the 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 lady um, Asami, um, she always seemed a little vacant through the whole thing, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that was an intentional thing to kind of, like, make it seem slightly off, but, but yeah, they have their date, and, you know, everything seems to be going well, and then she's waiting for the phone call, slumped over with that giant burlap sack with something in it, and it's like, what? What's yeah. going on? <laughs> yeah, and that's what's so creepy, is it's like she's just waiting, and all she does is just sit next to this phone. Yeah, it's, like, kind of implied she's been no there for a couple of days. Yeah. And then the phone rings, and then she gets that creepy smile. And then the the burlap sack like leaps against the wall, and I fall out of my chair. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah th- and that's the first that's the first taste of like, wait a minute, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, yeah, I just yeah, I like the way it just kind of you know pulls the rug out from under you. Especially like I knew it was going to be something creepy because um, I'm a Takashi Miike fan. Um, I love like Ichi the Killer and um, some of he's off the wall with his movies, but um. Most of his movies are just so like outlandish and cartoonish and just like, you know, it's it's hard to take seriously. And this one just kind of lulls you. And then all of a sudden it just like slaps you in the face with a sledgehammer. Right. Yep. Yeah. And that's and this because I've heard of some of his other movies. And this guy, I was looking through his filmography. He does. He does a ton of movies. He, he's got like he's three done 111 since 1990. Jeez, yeah, Whoa. exactly. He's like busting out three or four a year. Um, but I had heard of some of them, like I heard of Ichi the Killer, and uh, but I think this was the first one that I've actually watched. I haven't, I haven't watched any of his movies before this one. So Ichi the Killer is actually more disturbing. It's like psychosexual story about mafioso who's like a total masochist who's got this brainwashed assassin who's like a total sadist, and it's like a yeah, it's just like this really weird study of sadomasochism played out between yakuza and it's incredibly hard to watch at times but i think that's kind of what makes it special huh. is yeah. that it, it does just go so over the top i mean it's an older movie so the effects are dated but i still there's certain scenes that yeah i recommend it if you have like a very strong stomach <laughs> yeah i could see that because yeah even though it is like a brief torture scene it is pretty intense like when she's putting the needles in and then and and she does. We're kind of just jumping to the end of the movie here, but she does. She yep. does such a great job when she's like sawing his leg off, and yeah, that's like for people who've seen Misery and freaked out when um Kathy Bates broke James Conn's ankle. I'm like, 
Mm. Yeah. That was like Disney family friendly fair compared to the tortures yeah. at the end of audition. <laughs> e- even before even before she starts like torturing him, like after he's been after he had like the dream and yeah. he's he's immobile, like it shows like her whole process. Like she's done this before. You know, it's like every beat they're showing like up to like where she starts hurting him, you know. Well see that that's interesting too, because a lot of people there I guess there's a lot of theories like at um, some point, the movie becomes like a dream sequence, and all that everything that happens from a certain point on is a dream. Mm-hmm. But I guess, like, I was doing some research, and um, the Takashi Miyake says that the ending is not supposed to be dream. That's supposed to be what happens. But you know, the guy passes out, and then he sees like all the shit that's happened to the girl in his dreams, and it's uh, yeah, that's like brutal well, yeah, and disturbing. Yeah, you get to hear more of the conversation on the dates. Yes, and yeah. And then the guy, you get to see the guy in the burlap sack, sack and um, how she feeds him. I oh. think that was almost more disturbing than the actual torture oh, scene. Oh, yeah. With the vomit in the dog I, bowl. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, <it's> so gross. <laughs> well, and you know, and the, and the guy in the burlap sack, well, and this is because, you know, you go through the home, and like you said, that for the first half, or really more of the movie, it plays like kind of as a drama, like romantic drama where, yeah, you think this guy's going to learn a lesson. Like it's, it's kind of got this, like there's definitely a tension in the tone, but there's nothing like overtly creepy or, you know, disturbing, but then it just slams on the brakes halfway through and becomes a totally different film. Yeah. Yeah. But so, but so like you do, but it's so it's later when he's go, he's like trying to find her and he's like, checking out the ballet studio and he goes to that, the stone pig or wherever she said she worked. Mm-hmm. And then he tells about, which I thought this was interesting. There was a woman killed, which I thought this was just a cool story. It's like, Oh yeah, she was murdered and the body was chopped up. But when, when they were going through all the body parts, there were three <laughs> extra fingers and an extra tongue and an extra ear, <laughs> which I, I thought that was just like, funny to add in to, oh yeah the, they just found these extra body parts of this murder but and then yeah when the guy crawls out of the burlap sack and he's missing three fingers and ear and a tongue yeah exactly exactly <laughs> and but i thought it was it was cool how the movie took a turn and it was like a totally different movie in the second half but i i almost feel like it lost something when you know because in a movie where you're like trying to piece things together and you get all these puzzle pieces there's something about like getting a clue about like you know if you if it were early in the movie where you found like extra fingers and extra ear and extra tongue. And then you had like an hour or more in between and you kind of had time to forget about it. And then the guy comes out of the bag and you're like, Oh, he, that's where the finger in the ear. But, but the way this movie structured, where your stuff is, man. Yeah. Oh, I remember that from like an hour ago, but in, but the way this movie structured, it was like, it was only like 10 to 15 minutes before we fit. And it was like, Oh yeah, that's the guy. We just found his fingers like 10 minutes ago. Here he is. We found him, you know? Yeah, so the foreshadowing would have been better if it was earlier in the movie. I, I yeah, I feel like it would have been a little more impactful. Um, just because I do, I do feel something was lost where it's like, oh yeah, we just we just saw your tongue like around like a, in in you know a block ago. Yeah, no, I, I mean I have my gripes with it too. Like, um, the, when it becomes like a dream sequence and he's just like seeing all the stuff that's happened to her, I, I kind of wish they could have grounded that more in reality. It kind of went for like about twenty minutes, very David Lynch. Yeah. I could see that, which yeah. and I, I think uh, this director, Mike has said uh, good things about Lynch in the past, so that makes sense. I could totally see yeah, that, I though. Think, yeah, he's, he's a fan of David Lynch's. Yeah. Actually, that. if you want to see his most David Lynch movie, you should check out Gozu. Gozu? Which would, yeah, it would qualify as um, horror, in my opinion, but it's it's um, 
it, it doesn't, it's like the dream sequence kind of movies that Lynch puts together, except it involves, uh, um, Yakuza and women giving birth to fully grown men. It, it's, it's off the wall. Yeah. The dream sequence is so insane when like he's, he's about to have like a sex act performed on him. And then like, it just switches characters of who's doing it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's conflict. Think, like, yeah. Like, yeah, like, what if they just, like, cycle through, like, every character trying that? You know, that would be... <laughs> oh, like, like, and he's, like, like, his the dog producer like, friend, and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> oh, by the way, that creepy producer guy, I'm pretty sure gets his head chopped off in um, Kill Bill by um, Lucy Liu. Oh, is it, is it oh, the yeah? Is it the yeah, same? Yeah, when they're introducing her character, and she, um, that dude, the Yakuza is, like, driving oh. about a... Oh woman in charge i can't remember the if it was a woman or the fact that she was part chinese but she hops up and lops his head off that's the same guy who was the producer oh really I'm almost certain oh cool that's awesome just yeah, that's an awesome. interesting aside <laughs> yeah nice one well, <laughs> that scene was great <laughs> one well, and i think that these like uh, and the influence that this movie and this this filmmakers had on other people like i think the guy the director had a cameo in hostel right didn't eli roth put him in hostel he, he, he did yes yeah. so um Tarantino's also a huge fan of Takashi Miike. There's a, I think it's a movie called uh, Sakiyoki something Django, which is a weird Japanese Western where all the the um, actors are Japanese and they're all speaking English, but you can tell they don't know how to speak English. So it's but Quentin Tarantino is actually a character in that movie. He's <laughs> oh wow. So, yeah. So wait, is 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 the is Tarantino himself in the movie or it's just yes, somebody yeah. right? It's been a while since I've seen it. It wasn't one of my favorite Mike movies, but um, um, I think he plays like a mentor to the main character for a part of the movie. Huh, that's wild. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, and then and then the guy, uh, the the main character, what's this guy's name? Uh, Ryan hey, yo, Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey, yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm gonna call him. Matthew McConaughey Ishibashi. He uh, he was in the Grudge movies, right? He was the detective in the Grudge in the Grudge and the Grudge too. Oh, I haven't seen those. Um, I did start start watching this on um, uh, the last drive-in show, and where the Joe Bob guy get, like gives background, and uh, apparently that guy was also a rock star before he became a movie star. Really? Yeah, he was in a rock band. I can't remember what it was, but yeah, apparently he had a pretty uh, storied career. Apparently, that's awesome. Nice. Well, and I wanted to say the. I, I know Brent has seen this movie. I don't know if you've seen it, uh, JT, but the when the guy came out of the bag, he almost reminded me of... There's a movie called Buddhist Fist that's like one of... It may be my favorite Kung Fu movie, but like the whole movie, this guy's looking for his grandfather or his uncle and he can't find him anywhere. And then toward the end of the movie, this like weak, brittle-boned like old man crawls out and his tongue's been cut out and they like they say they pulled all the veins out of his arms and legs and i have not seen this one but i think i'm gonna have to find it oh man you can find it on it's on youtube yeah pieces on youtube yeah buddhist fist it's so good but it's great it's it's got some great com it's got great kung fu action and really good comedy it's pretty funny at times and then uh, yeah, the whole like the whole thing is the guy's like looking for his uncle, and nobody's seen him in two months. Everybody he talked to talks to is like, no, nobody's seen him in two months. It's <laughs> great. He managed to be around everybody on that exact day he went missing two months ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he saw everybody, and then got all all his veins pulled out, <laughs> and lived. Yeah, and lived to tell. 
and lived for a little bit anyway. <laughs> but I like, uh, I also think I was just reading, because I know the TV show, I haven't really seen many of the episodes, but there was a TV show called Master of Horror, Masters of Horror. Did you guys watch that at all? I've heard of it, but I don't, I've never seen it. Yeah, I think it was on Showtime, I think. But they had like just a bunch of, you know, John Carpenter and fucking everybody who's, you know, any kind of name in, in directing horror movies. They had direct an episode of this TV show, Masters of Horror. And I guess this guy, Mike, directed one called Imprint. And it never actually aired. It was just like too oh, brutal. I've, I've heard of that because it was, yeah, it was too intense, right? Yeah. And, and Mick, Mick Garris, the director, said it was the most disturbing film I've ever seen. And so I guess they released it in the DVD release, but they never actually aired the episode because it was just, it was too much. Like offend too many people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or just like everyone would vomit into their dog bowls, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, the, the thing about Takashi Mika, I've seen quite a few of his movies, but I'm not even scratching the surface, but a lot of his movies are like for kids and like he does like, um, he did an Ace, uh, Ace Attorney detective movie or whatever, like based on the video game and. <laughs> but I think he does whatever anybody pays him to do. But uh, he has his Apparently, he's done like his a thousand on it. <laughs> yeah, I saw a bunch of weird shit in his filmography, so that that makes sense. That's funny. Well, I, the weirdest one of his I've ever seen is called The Happiness of the Categories. And mm -hmm. it's about this family who tries to open a hotel in the middle of nowhere, and all their guests keep showing up and being killed in really weird ways. Like, um, no one's killing them, they just keep dying. And then it becomes a musical and then zombies pop out for some reason. And the opening is like a claymation scene where like this demon comes out of someone's mouth and then goes into some. It was absolutely <laughs> bizarre and absolutely worth watching. And I think I was on acid the first time I saw it. So. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, That's I think awesome. it might have scared the hell out of me. But, but yeah, his movies are just, I mean, the one thing that of all of them that I've seen that have in common, some can be slow, some can be like super fast, but they're all just fucking bizarre. <laughs> Yeah, I bet. that's awesome. Well, and that kind of like my own sensibilities, because like anytime, you know, because I've written a lot of stuff for stage and then just like stories that I don't even share with anybody, just like stories just to write. But 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 I can like enjoy anything from like kind of twisted horror to comedy to like, you know, I've had ideas and like written kids books and like things for my kids, you know, so I, I, I can understand like having sensibilities in like lots of different areas. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's awesome. I, I... Well, I haven't spoken to you guys in years, but I didn't know you were a writer. That's that's what I wanted to. That's what I would aspire to be at one point, but it never really worked out. So that's that's really cool to hear. Yeah, well, at this point, it's like mostly stuff I've just done on because I had a comedy group in Indianapolis. Like most of the things I've written that anyone has seen has just been like shows that we've done on the stage. But then there's lots of other things I've written that that only maybe a couple people have read, but they're they exist. They're they're somewhere, you know. But. But but no, I, but yeah, I, I, Corey Corey was involved in um. This is kind of it's kind of unique. Um, him and, a, and him and some other other really cool cats were writing sitcoms, but for like for play purposes. <clears throat> nice. So he had this one called Yeah Yeah. There was one called Jesus Is My Roomie, and they would have like a whole season of and it. And Corey played Jesus and like also helped write it, and direct it, and and, and it was just. Him, it was it was like a, it was as though it was like a two camera sitcom or whatever on a stage and it was like hacky yet very funny jokes about like just Jesus was this the roommate of this kind of schlubby guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I um 
I actually think um, back when I had um, Facebook, I saw pictures from that. Like you had like a big gray beard and oh yeah, wearing, like a white tunic. <laughs> yeah, I, I would like to see that. It was a, it was a good time when we would you know so we would do a new episode like every other Wednesday. So we would have like two weeks to get our scripts out to the actors and to get all the blocking and everything done and to like get get the next episode up between from the last episode. So it was a good time. It was a blast. I miss doing that. Yes, it reminds me of classes I had in college, but yeah, I never went anywhere with it. Well, I hope, like, I'm looking forward to going back over this episode and, like, writing all your recommendations down for all these movies, and I hope, I assume <laughs> yeah, that there are going to be listeners who are like, okay, yeah, Ichi the Killer, and, like, all these. <laughs> <laughs> the people who recognize them either going to really relate to me or they're going to think I'm a horrible person. <laughs> right. You just watch this torture porn all day. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wouldn't call those torture porn. I'm um, I mean, Ichi the Killer is definitely a lot of torture, but there's more, yeah. there's actually, like, a point to them. Or mm-hmm. sometimes yeah. the point is just to be totally pointless, but yeah. But there's, there, I feel like there's more of an art to them than like I would say like the Saw franchise. Like none of them have sequels, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, and that's and and you know to that point, like I kind of read a little bit after I watched this movie, uh, you know, just how there were th- people talking about theme and everything, how it was, you know, this guy's guilt for for objectifying women and doing things like having this audition and you know kind of what 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 he experiences in the latter half of the movie is his own guilt for objectifying which makes which makes sense when he's going through that dream sequence and it's you know it's a commie and then it's uh his his deceased wife and then it's his like housekeeper and then it's his sons yeah you know because because even if he never said anything or like actively sexualized or objectified them i you have to assume there was at least some kind of internal objectification going on for that kind of guilt to come out for for the you know i think it makes his character very human like very realistic like he's not a bad person or a villain by any means but you know right he's like a really good father he feels remorse for what he's you know what he's done like he's remorseful before he even does the audition he's like talking about feeling like a criminal Right. But he's also earlier, and he's like, you know, we're going to do this audition. What do you want in a woman? And he's, like, describing what he wants built. Like, he wants it made from scratch. Like, I want it to be this, and I want it to be this. And, like, he, like, made to order. Right. So, I mean. Like a robot. <laughs> but I think that also has a lot to do with, like, and I'm not an expert, but the kind of, like, Japanese culture in general, it's very, very, I think it's changed a lot since then, but it was very, like, patriarchal. It was very much, you know, the yeah. um, male-dominated yeah, he's like, I wanted a, a, a skinny, long, dark-haired, demure woman, you know, very submissive, and I want you to put her on a dinosaur and have her battle Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, I mean, have your cake and eat it, too. Right. Yeah. Did you guys anticipate the montage? The montage. The, the audition montage? Oh, uh, no, oh, yeah, no, Um. I mean... The whole time I was like, I, I can't it. wait to see this montage. I knew there was going to be one, and there was. I was like, yes! And that was the point where I looked up the movie, because I was like, is this just a fucking rom-com? Because I knew nothing about it. I was like, is this a, is this a horror movie? Right. <laughs> so, awesome. See, I would like to find someone who has no familiarity with the movie, and not even like tell them the name of it, and just like force them to watch it, just to see their reaction when you know it starts getting like spooky. Well, yeah. that that was kind of my reaction. Like I, you know, I which I have to say, I I I started to watch it a couple nights ago, and I got kind. Of, and I feel like, and this is just my fault as a viewer, like because I 
And the same thing happens, I've noticed lately when I watch, like, Stanley Kubrick movies or old Ridley Scott movies, which are, like, some of my favorite movies. I just rewatched Alien. I fucking love that movie. But the... But, you know, I've, I've got three kids and I, you know, I wake up at 6.30, 7.30 in the morning, depending on if I'm going to try to jog that day. And then I like work all day and then my kids are running around. And then by the time I get them in bed at 11, like I could get a good night's sleep or I could like have some me time to do something. So, so I, I, I just feel like I, I, I feel like it's on me whenever I watch these movies that are a little slower paced and do more to like build tension and build atmosphere. Like, I feel like I need to sleep for like a solid three days. I need to get like three days of solid sleep and then like, you know, prepare, like prepare myself to be in a state to like immerse myself in this movie. So I feel like it's on me, but so I got, I watched, I started this movie a few nights ago and I just, I got too tired by the middle of it. I, I had to stop it. And I feel like that hurt my experience because it was, it kind of like deflated all the tension and everything that had built up over the first half. Cause because I didn't know anything about the movie, but when I started the second half, it was kind of like, okay, I remember what happened. And then it was just like immediately into weird shit. And I was like, oh, wait, what? What the fuck? Like, <laughs> just like weird shit off the bat, you know? <laughs> if, if I hadn't already seen a couple of Takashi Miike's um, films beforehand, I would have never finished Audition the first time. I would have, I mean, I can handle a slow burn, but it wasn't even like so much of a slow burn as it was just like, just endless talking for a while. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. If it wasn't for this podcast, I would have stopped the movie or I would have like fast forwarded through like a, a lot of it until it got to something interesting. But it all but serves its purpose. About, it like, all serves its right. Yeah. 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 I feel like it's yeah, it's worth it to like sit down and watch it. But that's that. And like I said, I've, I've had I've and I've noticed this recently over the past couple of years, like with especially Kubrick movies and Ridley Scott and other where it's like gorgeous movies and it's like you really want to see it in a theater it's like a painting every frame is just gorgeous but i'm just so tired i'm so very tired all of the time i just like i just i just start to fall asleep at some point if something doesn't happen you know what i mean because you're no, i understand and by the way i, I watch blade runner three times a year so I'm, I'm a huge ridley scott fan it's, yeah blade runner that's another good example great movie i fucking love that movie it's a gorgeous movie but like if I if I after this podcast if I tried to watch it like I I guarantee yeah. my eyes would be drooping about an hour in. But it's nice. It's very melodic that way. There's a Star Trek movie I think that's like that. So the first oh. Star Trek is it the first? It's really slow. Yeah. It's all yeah, and they're like they find a sentient satellite at the end. That's yeah. That's got to be the first one. Yeah. The, yeah, you're probably thinking of the first one. No, but I I feel you with like Blade Runner and and um, Stanley Kubrick movies. Um. Outside of like um, a Clockwork Orange, I I I, I love two thousand and one A Space Odyssey, and I've watched it once. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's another one. It's it, it's just there's, it is just a very <laughs> slow, almost meandering at times. But and and like I said, I think if I was just like stocked up on sleep, seeing it in the movie theater, like I I could definitely appreciate the beauty. But yeah, just got to be in the right mind state for it, you know. Yeah, I, I like used to listen to the Blade Runner stuff. soundtrack to help me sleep. Okay, it's <laughs> oh, a great idea. But I, I was like thinking, that. and so, like, kind of what this movie made me feel, especially toward the end, and I even think, like, without any commentary, like, without any moral intent or, like, reading into this guy's guilt or whatever, is just kind of the, uh, just kind of the inherent, the inherent isolation of existence and the paranoia that that can create. Oh, it's, it's very much about loneliness, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, it really reminded me of, so, like, 
definitely was like feeling the loneliness at times. I was like, I know that feeling. And then it really reminded me of some relationships I've had in the past where you like just meet somebody and you're like, I'm, I'm really attracted to this person. We're just like getting to know each other. And then you're like, you what, know, she's stabbing me in the stomach with needles. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. In there. In, interesting in there, aside on that note. Um, this is based on a book for uh, by, um, the author. Apparently it's very loosely based, but it's apparently based on a true story. What where somebody like, went like psycho torture on him? I don't know. I haven't read the book, and I've heard like the the movie apparently takes it to some extremes. But uh, yeah, it's about a guy who got into a relationship with um uh, an unbalanced, a disturbed woman, and um I I don't know exactly what happened, but I I do know that it's supposedly is based loosely on a true story. Huh. That's that's what. Well, and because and because the feelings it brought back to me, which I haven't, you know, I've been married. I've been with shauna for you know like 15 some years now 15 16 years so it's 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 been a long time but it really brought these memories back that i haven't experienced in a long time of like kind of knowing somebody and beginning to like open up and be vulnerable and like share things and you're like and even if they don't become like a psycho sticking needles in your stomach it's like what what's what's their intent like are they really like i'm opening myself up to be vulnerable and like and now this person that i barely know really could very easily like use that against me and like harm me. Like I've, I've allowed this person the ability to harm me in a way that like very few people could. I, and I don't the whole even ending know- is like a perfect metaphor for vulnerability. Like he's paralyzed and he's at her mercy. He's the most vulnerable he can be. Like he's being tortured and most likely going to be murdered and chopped into pieces. I mean, it doesn't get much more vulnerable than that. Oh, that's true. I didn't, and yeah, and you're right. And he's totally paralyzed and can't even do it. That's yeah, that's yeah. Perfect. Yeah. yeah it's a drug so perfect that only his mouth can move <laughs> and talk. And then I went to Kashi Miyake. Speaking of mouse, this isn't the only movie where I've seen where he's like does tongue torture. And that just gets me I'm more than anything like cutting tongues yeah. out or sticking needles in tongues. I can't. Uh, can't deal. Well, and, and I know, know she could have put that that syringe in anywhere, but it was so terrible that it was like in the tongue. Yeah, like even the needles under the eyes didn't bother me as much as the needle in the tongue. <laughs> yeah, maybe because it was attached to the plunger of the syringe. Maybe. Uh, that that could add something to do with it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, that's well, what it did for me. Well, and to go back to his like his state and that scene as like kind of a metaphor for his own vulnerability. Like, not only is he paralyzed and totally at her mercy. But she even says that even though he can't move, all of his nerves and everything, there, mm-hmm. his feelings have been heightened. So he ex- he's going to experience everything to like an even greater extent than he normally would, which I think he just like goes even deeper into the metaphor, you know. Oh, deeper, and she's even like sticking the needles in, and she's saying deeper, deeper, deeper. But it sounds like kitty, kitty, kitty in yeah. English. That was really creepy to me as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. She's sticking needles <laughs> under his eyeballs. <laughs> that. Oh man, that would be the that would be the that would just add insult to injury if like somebody's doing that and then at the same time they're like kitty 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 kitty. <laughs> oh man. Oh. Let oh. me see. I'm trying to think. In the beginning, I don't know that it goes anywhere, but I I thought maybe because <laughs> at the beginning of the movie they're fishing. And his son is, like, catching all these little fish. And he's like, no, I want to catch, like, a big, meaningful fish. Not these little, not these little, mm. you know. Fish. I, yeah, I never, like, thought about that, but yeah. So, yeah, so I thought there was going to be a deeper metaphor with, like, the, a metaphor as, like, fish as women. and uh, But it, it didn't really seem to go anywhere. But at the very beginning, I was like, I see the metaphor. 
I think, yes, we do. In, in Japan, they have a similar metaphor of um, too many, or there's plenty of fish in the sea. But it's like there's infinite amount of stars in the sky. Mm-hmm. And that's why you kind of were looking for that, but then it kind of dropped off. Oh, Does that make sense? Where it was more just about Matthew McConaughey catch just finding a good catch right there's nothing he was just catching fish (laughs) that's well no no there was some symbolism but it was just like i want to catch the perfect one Mm -hmm. not he wanted to keep her fish in the sea he didn't want to throw him back he wanted to keep her yeah okay i dig it (laughs) (laughs) which i I don't know have you guys heard the song Uh, this is not super related but the song fish is it the blue if I were green, I would die. If I were green, I no, would die. No, no, no. The fish oh. heads, the one that's like, fish heads, fish heads. Oh, yeah. Roly poly fish heads. Have you heard that? <laughs> that sounds like something Ween would sing. It's it's pretty ridiculous. It's uh, But for some reason, I'll send you the link, Brady, or Brent, to the video. But there's uh, Bill Paxton is in the music video for some reason. And okay. and I, I play wow, it for my son random. a lot, who's seven. So he always like he always wants to play the song Fish Heads, you know. And his mom's always like, "God damn it, like, quit playing that fucking song." And but <laughs> but so he and I will be singing. We'll be like, "I took a fish head out to see a movie. Didn't have to pay to get it in, you know." Fish heads, fish heads. That's so weird. Rather is that what's disturbing is that the title? sounding song? Yeah. Is the title Fish Head? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so it's weird. pretty funny but so yeah the poor dog gangu and i, I like gangu. how Gang, gangu was a presence the whole movie and then uh that paid off when he got killed at the end but that that dog was noisy man like every scene he was in he was like kind of whining and like grunting <laughs> there was just like a lot of noise with the dog i think that was like edited in later that dog probably didn't make a peep through the whole film right with the whole filming process but they, they would have hit it with a stick <laughs> <laughs> We need to make the dog sound cuter, so add some puppy sounds to it. Yeah. So when you, you see it twisted around dumb. backwards later, it's that much yeah. more painful. Yeah. Oh man. I-, I thought it was pretty cool when the dad was like wingman and his son. Oh yeah. The son, the son brings home the girl, and he's like, "I'm going to show her some dinosaurs," which is like <laughs> stupid. <laughs> and the dad is like, "She can have my dinner," and then like he's like over like reacting like getting the dog to like go take him for a walk to take gangu for a walk it gives him like the okay symbol like hey she's a peeper you know it's like <laughs> nice give him a little time <laughs> yeah well that's another thing that's kind of slightly related i guess but there's like a argument amongst um fans online i guess of this film of whether it's feminist or misogynist mm-hmm. um like whether it represents you know the, the male dominance of women going to a point where the women are going to fight back and they're going to fight back dramatically or whether it's just like a misogynist torture porn where I kind of see it as both at times. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, the woman... See, so, like, the picture I got of her, like, her character is that um, she kind of um, is the victim until she's the villain and um, she's kind of just lures people in or... I don't know if she's like, this is the first guy she's done that to, but you know, she's like killed that uh, woman and um, cut her into pieces. And um, she's uh, got that guy all cut up in the, the burlap sack. And I was like, as far as that doesn't seem like a feminist thing to me, that seems monstrous. So, but it's also like, 
yeah. a pushback against the the misogyny of the culture you know of the, like treating women like objects where they're like i want them my, my woman my new wife to be made to order so let's do an audition and find the one that fits what i want the most so right yeah i was just curious like, like, if you picked up any of that yeah i mean i i thought about it um yesterday when i was watching i was like how bad is it that they tricked women into thinking that they were in a i mean although I mean, there was like a point where it was a real show it's still pretty sleazy though but i mean it's super sleazy absolutely i, I my and then my, my my conclusion was like it's sleazy it's it's bad you know <laughs> but like but like again like that's why I, I called it a Matthew McConaughey movie because it was like almost yeah like you know, he learns even to those respect like women by the end sleazy. yeah 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 because like sometimes I think he's even straight up played Matthew McConaughey has like played like a like a like a player who like is just like a pickup artist in a way right well and you that's know? and that's and that's funny because like I feel like. And now, you know, kind of in the 2020s, we can kind of look back and see, like, in the 1980s, you know, they almost thought of, like, uh, maybe they wouldn't have used the feminism, like, the word feminism, but, like, uh, oh, you know, we're making these comedies where the these mean jocks are assholes and the, you know, the women really learn that the nerds are are the ones who are the nice guys who are going to treat them all. And the guys making the movie at that time thought that that was, like, progressive and, like, you know... Uh, big, oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, at the time but, they thought they were um, breaking the mold. Exactly, but, um, but then, but then you you look back at them and it's like, oh, these guys are like creeping on these girls and like peeking in the window and like watching them in the shower and like being total pervs the whole time. And you're like, wait, no, that wasn't that wasn't progressive at all. They were and, all stereotypes too. The '80s comedies were always yeah, it was um, they had no like depth. It was all just. One yeah. note characters, right? Well, and then like even and, even in the '90s and 2000s, and then I think it transformed to like, you know, probably the clearest example of Joss We is Joss Whedon. But then, but there are other like it's like okay, you're you want to empower women and like, you know, but you can have a strong woman character who doesn't like murder everybody and like rip people's head. Like you can you can make deep women character like there's there's something in between just being like a total damsel in distress or being like the incredible hulk there's like an entire shade of depth there <laughs> that you can explore you know but again at the time they were like oh well we're, we're empowering women we're doing feminism and it's like and I, I just think everything you can look back at everything now and like at the time yeah maybe it was progressive compared to what had come before but so especially you like mentioned this just just whedon earlier empowering um uh, female characters, but I didn't think the best way to um, empower female characters and, and um, actors would to ha- be have um, female writers and directors. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's that's like, a, a man's interpretation of what an empowered woman is is probably way different than what a what a woman's interpretation of that would be. Right. No. That and that's exactly my point. And and so this movie, like directed by a man in like 1999, uh, you know, and even even though I'm not like in touch with I don't really have my pulse on Japanese culture now or then, but I can only imagine they, they must have had a similar trajectory of progress and what that looks like. I think it's progressed. I mean, again, I'm like you. I, I, I love Japanese culture, but I'm not an expert. And um, But I, I do feel like it's it's progressed. Um, women have been more empowered. They're not con- – I mean, there's still the old school people who think, you know, women should be subservient and docile and, you know, but – a lot of a lot of that's changed. Like one thing I noticed when I was in Japan is um, um, 
there's kind of like I mean, unless you're familiar with like Japanese film or, or anime, there's this perception that they're like really uptight and really like um, uh, non-sexual, and that's like the com- most opposite thing. They're very open them um, with sexuality, and they're they're not ashamed of it. And they they um, the, if once work hours are over, they're out there doing their thing, like you, um, women and men. So. Um, it, I feel like it's definitely not the same Japan um, from 1999. Right, <laughs> right, and and I almost feel like any place that, and I don't I don't know my what what term I really like for it. I mean, you you hear Westernized countries, you know that's that's the clearest definition I can think of. I don't even though I don't necessarily like that term, but you know I know there are huge cultural differences between uh, the United States and Japan, but I think as culture gets more global and 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 more uniform but you know between like whatever movies and everything we ingest and they're ingesting the same thing in japan and even like china now and as everything gets more like quote-unquote westernized i have to think there's like cultural differences aside there's something of like a similar uh societal trajectory at least to some extent you know what i mean Nice. So let's see what else. What else? There's so much to talk about this movie. Like the piano, the uh, the creepy uh, guy at the ballet studio. Who, when we first met him, I was like, "Does he have fucking wooden feet?" Like I was like, "What is going on with his feet?" <laughs> yeah, I think they're plastic or wooden. Yeah, I think he was probably the first person who had his um, feet cut off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I kind of interpreted it as she somehow crafted feet from someone else because it looked like his nubs were like Ooh. in like a pair of Yeezys, you know, like <laughs> all leather bound. <laughs> it looked like someone else's foot, but like the skin of someone else's foot. Like the, the Ed Gein <laughs> Yeezys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and correct me. And, and I think I have a pretty clear idea of, of what happened, but so the guy in the wheelchair, that was her stepfather, right? That was obviously her stepfather because yes. she went back to live with her mom and her stepfather hated her. And then the woman who owned the stone fish that was murdered was her abusive aunt. And the guy in the burlap sack was her uncle, right? I mean, that all makes sense, yeah. That's why I didn't, I didn't think about who the guy in the burlap sack was. But yeah, that, that's got to be her uncle. Okay, that's why. Oh, and oh, just to, to piggyback on that, when... When they got in bed the first time, like he's about to like lay down, like right on top of her, and they pull the cover off. There's that quick transition to like the next morning, mm-hmm. but the transition thing was like the the blanket or the sheet like swirling around him in a very burlap sack ish kind of way. Did you notice that? It looked like the burlap yeah, it was sack. Yeah, very sudden step. jerk. Yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's that's pretty. It was as though he though. was in it. Yeah. No. Yeah. It definitely. He. Um, it looked like in the scene where the phone's ringing and the burlap sap just like jumps into the wall and yeah, I fell out of my chair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But also speaking of like scenes where he was lying in bed with her, um, I don't know if it was it's supposed to be intentionally hilarious, but to me it just absolutely cracked me up when um he kind of like wakes up from the torture scene, even though he's you know that's just his like dream to get out of the torture. But he wakes up and he freaks out and he washes his face and she's concerned and he's lying back in bed with her and she's like, I've decided to accept your proposal after that, you know, waking up from all that shit and the look on his face. He's like, oh, shit. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's like, I've totally, my feelings have totally changed. <laughs> yeah, it's like that dream just, yeah. <laughs> Which, again, yeah, I, I don't know if that was supposed to be funny, but I, I just have a twisted sense of humor, but I, I, I yeah. got a pretty good laugh out of that. Yeah, or the, it's like the next morning and she wakes up and he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and I feel like I've had that experience too. Like that kind of goes into the experience I was talking about where you're like creating a new relationship with somebody and you're like kind of starting to be vulnerable and feel, feel each other out. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. So, yeah, and something happens. You're like, oh, I have serious doubts about this, you know? And then she's like, you know. She wants to move on to the next stage. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about this now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> was there anything else in this movie you guys wanted to kind of pull out and talk about? I think we pretty much covered all of the uh, the main stuff. Yeah, I I can't think of anything else we haven't really talked about. I've got a, I've got a story to piggyback off of the death of Gunku. Oh, oh God, <laughs> what's that? Our, this, and I'll, because I know it's a comedy podcast, I'll I'll try to figure I'll try to say the funny parts of it. But our dog died a week ago. Oh God, sorry to hear that. <laughs> it was an old dog. But um, we had to put her to sleep, put needles in her, right? Kind of mm-hmm. like this movie. <laughs> and um, so we brought her. We brought her to the vet. And if this is too dark, just edit it out. Right. We brought her to the vet, and it was a beautiful day. It was uh, not this past Wednesday, but the Wednesday before. Beautiful day. We get to the vet. We bring the dog in, and they they, they already know who we are, and we don't have to check in or anything. They're like, okay, yeah, we're, we've been expecting you. Here, enter this room right here. And we put in the room is beautiful. The wind, like the shades are drawn. So you see the beautiful day it's facing and you would expect like a metal table, but no, it's like, it is a metal table, but there's like a nice blanket draped over it. And there's like lovely, like paintings on the wall. And so it happens, right? The doctor does his thing. The vet does his thing. And it's really sad. I mean, it it was, I'm making light of it, but it was like god awful. Yeah. So, Kara finally like regains her composure, and there's a door in the room, and we get to leave out that door. We don't have to go back out into the waiting room. So we go out to the car and we sit and we're like breathing, you know, and just like relaxing. And we start to pull away. And we start to pull away. And we round the corner of the building, and there's like the window for the room for the dog. And we start to drive past, and it's the vet tech drawing the shades. And in his hand, he's holding the biggest orange body bag. <laughs> you have oh, the shades dropped. And that was the last like look my wife was attached to this dog very deeply got to see. Oh, wow, that's, that's, that's awful. Before we, before we left, you know, there was like different things you can do with with the with the remains of the dog and so we, we were like let's let's cremate you know so we get like an urn like a symbol you know because the kids have taken it really hard and it was it's ready it was ready today mm-hmm. so it was up to me i went and picked it up and which is really weird because i went to the vet with no animal and there's like other people with their like happy dogs in the waiting room i didn't want to like bum them out so when the lady's like, how can I help you? Oh, by the way, wait, I need to go back. <laughs> wait, wait, just a, a one beat. I have to go back. Uh, po- uh, post, 
during and post pandemic at a vet's office. I don't know if you've been, but they have like these signs up in the parking lot that you can park at and they'll come out and they'll give your dog like inoculations and stuff. Uh-huh. You just have to bring them in. And I had this like morbid thought. I guess it's morbid. I don't know. But like, as I was pulling in, I was like, I wonder if they curbside. <laughs> They'll just come out. <laughs> and but, I was like, "That's insensitive." No. <laughs> right. What's well, I like? I I had to, like both of our dogs passed away. Two of our dogs passed away last year, so I had like very similar experiences, like going to pick up the ashes and um, yeah, yeah. So I know, but you should, you know, you should have gotten the ashes and then like held it up to everyone in the waiting room, and be like, li- "Listen to the, do what they say, <laughs> like follow their instructions, <laughs> or this is your future." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And they were cool, yeah, but I was, like, whispering, like, I'm here to pick up the remains of my dog. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, 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 what's the name? And they were real cool. Anyway, <laughs> it was really weird. Yeah. <laughs> but, but they gave you an urn, and they gave you, like, a paw print. Mm-hmm. They did that for you? Yeah, actually, I've got the urns yeah. are sitting, like, right over there to my left. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have my dog weird ashes thing. in an urn in my bedroom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sweet. Yeah, this is an odd experience. Yeah, but there, you know, actually, I'm going to tell, I'll, I'll probably cut this out, but just because we're in kind of morbid territory. And this is like one of, it's like literally the saddest thing I've ever experienced. And I think because of that, like also one of the funniest things I've ever experienced. Um, And Brand, I, I might I might have told you this. I don't remember. Um, okay, go ahead. But when my, I want to hear it again. when we, we like, we knew my grandma was passing away, right? She was like in hospice. She was like at the end and we knew it. Um, I drove down from Indianapolis to Bloomington. I was supposed to go the next day, uh, but I wanted to go that night after work. Like I just wanted to get there as soon as possible. And, um, and it's like almost like she waited for me. I mean, I, I got there and she died like five minutes later, but so I like, I go there and I go in the room and it's my aunt, and my uncle and my cousins and everybody. Um, and my aunt is like the kind of woman who will just like kind of take charge. And, but okay. so, so I get there and like holding my grandma's hand and her, her breathing starts getting heavier. Right. She like, it's like fewer and farther in between like, <gasps> and it's like, okay, these are like obviously her last breaths. Right. Um, so she does that and my, and so my aunt decides she's like kind of commentating. She's like, Oh, here she, here she goes. This is the end. And it's like, yeah, okay. And so my grandma's like, <gasps> and my aunt's like, there she goes. She's she's moved on. She's in heaven now. <gasps> I'm sorry, she that, that that was it. That was that was the last one. She's gone now. Goodbye, mom. That <gasps> <laughs> is funny. I know. That is funny. I like. She kept she kept narrating each breath, and it, as it as if it was the last one, and it's like it's simultaneous like the worst moment of my life and one of the funniest things I've ever experienced at the same time. So. Well, most people can't look back and laugh at the worst moment of their lives. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Corey, that's a keeper. I, I say keep that in. That's a good story. <laughs> that's, that's good. But I got it. Yeah. Like, so by the way, Corey, you need to tell Shauna I said hi. Okay, yeah, yeah, we'll do, man. Oh, you yeah. yeah. Shauna worked at the Pizza Hut. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I, I, I know all of you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure, yeah. I'll let her know. I'll tell her you said hi. Uh, nice. I think I think she's still gone. She's like, I'm here, 
I'm here by myself with the seven-year-old. He's, like, watching Spider-Man 3 right now. And she's, like, running the other two. She's, like, running our daughters to, like, five different places. I don't I don't even know what they're doing right now, so. Uh, what do they do? Do they have extracurricular stuff? Yeah, my oldest, she's, like, really good at volleyball. So she plays volleyball a lot. Um, but she's kind of, that's on hiatus right now for, like, a month or so. So she's, like, always hanging out with her friends. And then my youngest does, like, or I'm sorry, my younger daughter does like gymnastics and dancing. And then my son's doing like, yep. he, he was playing baseball and like soccer now. So Damn. they're always just like trying different shit, trying to like figure out what they like, you know? Yeah. If so. I had kids, I'd want them to just be interested in video games and movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally relate. Yeah. I'm definitely working on like that. Well, Brent and I have this conversation a lot. Like it's hard for me to find the line between like, cause I have all this, like all this stuff I want to show them all these movies. And I'm like, Let's see. What's she's twelve years old. Could I get away with like <laughs> the Terminator? Is she too young for the yeah, Terminator? Yeah, I picked up on the on the thing when you you like, yeah, yeah. I saw Terminator when I was about twelve. I think I I handled it all right, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I also saw Exorcist when I was seven. So right. I remember I had the VHS of Terminator from the video store, and I drove and I was driving home. This is a distinct memory. I drove past a friend's house, and and they were. Um, her and her brother were in the yard playing and I remember like rolling down the window and like holding the VHS of Terminator 2 out the window being like well, I got it it's <laughs> but then, know, it's like maybe 10 <laughs> and you and like but then you look and they hold up this orange bag and it's, yeah. it's <laughs> they're like this Jesus. is the this is the worst night ever <laughs> I'm like best night ever yeah that's right. <laughs> they had to put their own dog to sleep. <laughs> That's how bad it was. Oh, man. They just happened to have a yellow or an orange body bag lying around. Yep. Yeah. That's what you have to use. Just to keep a tongueless, fingerless, footless man with one ear. <laughs> yeah. And they, you know what? Those kids, they had to reuse the bag any time of head time. <laughs> one bag, and they were happy to use it. <laughs> they were happy, goddammit. <laughs> All right. Well, we should uh, we should probably wrap up here. We so we'll go ra- we'll go around and do head cannons. Uh, you guys want to go ahead, or I can go first. It doesn't matter to me. Well, the one I was thinking of involved the dog, and I almost feel guilty now after your story about your dog. <laughs> oh no! It'll be go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. It'll be better. So I I, I noticed um, the quick glimpse you get of the dog after it's been killed. Mm-hmm. Its neck is snapped in the same way that the. Um, that the um, Asamis ends up being snapped at the end. Oh, that's right. Nice. So yeah. I think it was the dog's perspective as the whole time, the dog trying to, you know, as being a psychotic oh, woman. Oh, I feel, or, yeah. So I like, know, so like, dog the, thinks humans do. <laughs> yeah. So like Asami is a projection of, of, of Gengu. Yes, exactly. Nice. And I you love know, it. when, when um, someone is definitely in the house spiking the whiskey, and looking, mm-hmm. and it's kind of these when they show a dog's perspective, like walking through the house, it was like sped up a little bit, like kind of like mm-hmm. like spastic. like it was sniffing at things, yeah. Huh. Oh, so That's... so it was Gangu the whole time. <laughs> I I dig it, and I love I like that shot too. It kind of reminded me of like the first person POV shot, like going through doors and shit. Kind of reminded me of the Evil Dead. You know how they would get, yeah. There's like that first person shot, like going through the trees and everything. Yeah, and they, like. They cut frames out to speed it up. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's a good comparison. Yeah. So. Nice. W- what about you, Brent? You want to do yours? There you go. So Santa Claus has died. 
<laughs> Mrs. Claus has killed him <laughs> and put him in a giant sack. <laughs> and she gets called into this, like, Japanese audition, right? And so it's just Mrs. Claus, like how you picture her. And then eventually she sits down and Matthew McConaughey is, like, drooling over her. <laughs> the whole thing plays out, but it's it's more Christmas undertones. Right, Christmas theme. So it's like if, if Shane Black wrote this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who that is. I'm sorry. Has he ever done a movie that wasn't um, taking place at Christmas? He did Lethal Weapon and Iron Man 2. Yeah. he wrote, oh, yeah, Or wrote Iron Le- Man 3. Lethal Weapon, Iron Man 3. Uh, kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Yeah. <laughs> also a Christmas movie. He didn't yeah. do Die Hard, though, did he? I don't think he did. Because I always, I always thought that he did, but I don't think he actually did, no. It would have been a perfect movie for him. Exa- it would have been, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, all right, so, well, my headcanon is, so this, the movie came out in 99, but I don't know if it said, like, when exactly it took place, so I don't know what the timeline is, but I think this son, uh, he goes to school for paleontology, right? And he gets really interested, and he's, like, digging up dinosaurs. And then at one point, he finds uh, a mosquito encased in amber, and he's able to take DNA from that mosquito, and he figures out a way to splice it with frog DNA, right? And so, like, he he develops this method uh, of kind of, like, recreating dinosaur DNA. And then he meets uh, a benefactor, a man by the name of John Hammond, this old man who dresses in an all-white suit, right? And he says, "I, I want to fund your research. And, and I want you to move to my island. So then this guy, the son, after he like grows up, you know, he saves his dad or whatever, he goes to this island and they recreate, they engineer and clone all these dinosaurs together. And like a few years later, they, they open up uh, Jurassic Park. And so, so my headcanon is, is that the boy in this movie goes on to, to create Jurassic Park. humble <laughs> beginnings. I thought you were going to say that like the old man like says like, I can bring your mom back. <laughs> and they splice her with some frog. <laughs> right. Or just, it just turns into like John Hammond, like sticking needles in the kid. We can walking around. One of them just has a limp. <laughs> we can regrow He's your dad's foot. <laughs> nice. Well, gentlemen, this has been a blast, JT. It's been good talking to you, man. I'm, I'm, it's good to hear from you. It's been years, but we yeah. were just talking before you came on. You were always one of my favorite people to work with at uh, a Pizza Hut, so it's, I'm, I'm glad to hear your your. Oh, do- the feelings mutual, both of you guys. Um, thanks, thanks, man. Yeah, same, man. Yeah, that, I was that, like that job would have been awful if it weren't for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Corey and I were talking. I was like, did we really like hang out much after Pizza Hut? Because I was like. JT is like so in my brain as someone I I was like I really I really enjoyed hanging out with like while working there, and so I don't I, know like I don't, yeah yeah we got together a couple times outside of work I feel like but I thought so okay good because I thought so yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah but I, I think I remember doing like college related things not scholastic um, hanging out with you guys after work <laughs> yeah right right yeah some extracurricular activities. Some <laughs> yeah. botanical exploration. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was all for botany class. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right, well, thanks again, JT. Was there anything uh, anything else you wanted to, to plug or talk about or leave on before we sign off here? I, I, did you guys strictly adhere to horror films or? 
Oh, any? You have any good recommendations? Anything? Um. Well, so I like you probably picked up on this, but I'm a big fan of Asian cinema, and I don't know if you've seen it. I'm sure you've heard of it, but you should give Old Boy a shot. Oh, I love that movie. It's probably my favorite movie ever. Yeah, I don't. I, I've seen I the remake. I, I don't think I saw the original. Oh, the remakes? No, it's no good. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay, but the original, it's like the guy is in the hotel room for like much, much longer, I think, right? Yeah, I I didn't watch the remake all the way through, but it's... Did uh, I say right? I the original, yeah. Oh, yeah, the original, saying. it's 15 years where he's locked up in a hotel room, and all the, all the twists and turns are epic, and um, I, I like how it plays with taboos, and um, yeah, and... There's an awesome, the best, uh, the, the probably the best choreographed fight scene in film history about halfway through. Nice. Is that, if, if I'm, and I haven't seen it, but is it kind of, is it done in a one shot? Yeah, it's a one take and it's, um, it's like a eight minute fight scene where he's just going down this hallway, beating the crap out of many people while they beat the crap out of him. <laughs> I'm sold. What more do you need than that? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if that would be appropriate for a horror theme show, but it's pretty horrific at times. Nice. It's a great movie. Yeah. Well, yeah, if we don't we definitely watch that. One. Yeah, if we don't cover it here, I'm sure I'll I'll watch it on my own at some point. So, <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, that would be my big recommendation, or yeah. anything that, like I said earlier, by Takeshi Miike. Takeshi Miike. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would love to hear your analysis of Gozu, actually. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I'm definitely, when I edit this episode, I'm definitely going to, like, write all the, as you were saying, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely going through these recommendations later and, like, keeping track of them, so. Yeah. <laughs> and especially, and I've heard of Ichi the Killer uh, a number of times, and I've, I've heard that it's good. I've never gotten around to watching it, but I've, I've heard from other people, too. Uh, I, 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 there's a um, description of it that I liked, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher it, um, so it's a paraphrase, but the. They basically um, describe it as the Citizen Kane of arterial splash movies. <laughs> okay. And at, at the end, he, he cuts somebody open. He's like, Rosebud. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, he doesn't, you just have to see it. Um, if, if, like you said, it's it's hard to stomach, but you guys do horror podcasts, so I think you can handle it. <laughs> yeah. right. Awesome. Now, I'm a little hesitant to announce next week's movie, because we have not yet recorded it. We're supposed to record it today, December 8th, the day that this episode drops, but we have not yet recorded it. It's a movie that just came out yesterday, I believe, starring a friend of ours named Charlie Lind. He and the director are going to be the guest. The movie is called Death to Metal, and Brent and I have already watched this movie. We can certainly vouch for it as a fun, if you're a fan of ridiculous comedy splatter movies like evil dead or dead alive anything like that you will enjoy this movie but it is called death to metal and you should be able to find that on comcast direct tv dish network itunes youtube xbox amazon google play should be able to find it anywhere and as always you can find us on social media on Facebook at Danger Explosion Presents Head Cannon Podcast, on Instagram at Head Cannon Pod, on Twitter at Horror Movie Pod, or you can always follow the subreddit r slash horror movie pod. If by some chance something falls through and we don't end up recording, 
the episode on death to metal in time to get it out next week, we will likely be covering Jaws in that case. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks but for coming thank on the you show. Guys again, for having me. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I just enjoyed the conversation. So oh, yeah, same here. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I'll talk to you guys later. You have a good night. Yeah. You as well. Bye. Bye. This has been head cannon. Oh,